If you have your Bibles, if you would, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be looking starting at verse 13 here in just a moment. Pastor Charlie, I don't know about you, but one of the most difficult things for me, unless I happen to be going through a series, like maybe preaching through a particular book, is trying to figure out the proper passage or where God wants me to go. Sometimes it's easier if I know I need to be in a certain chapter or working my way through. And perhaps you don't have that difficulty, but perhaps it's one of the most difficult things for me. This time, however, was a little different. Every once in a while, things happen in your life where you need a word from the Lord. I'm sure everybody or most everyone in this room can Think back at times in your life where perhaps you were struggling with something and you just needed a word from the Lord. And so you go searching to Scriptures and hoping that that the Lord will bring to your mind or to your heart a particular word. That was the case for me this week. And some things have happened in my life recently that caused me to go to the Word and, and, and to search. And so... To be very honest with you this morning, the message that I'd like to bring to you is actually one that the Lord needed to preach to me. But I figured that since I needed it, and the Lord needed to preach it to me, that I might as well share it with you. (laughs) And so that's what I want to do. Roy Regals. Anybody ever heard of Roy Regals? I didn't think so. (laughs) I asked uh, Brother Tim if he had ever heard of him. He said, is he American? (laughs) Yes, he was. As a matter of fact, he was all-American. Football team. (laughs) Roy Regals was a first-team all-American for the Golden Bears of the University of California at Berkeley. However, that's not really what he's famous for, though he was a first-team All-American football player. You see, Roy became known as Wrong Way Roy. On January the 1st, 1929, the Golden Bears of Berkeley faced the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets in the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California. Late in the second quarter of the Rose Rose Bowl, Roy, who played center, but he also played defense, he picked up a fumble by one of the Georgia Tech players at the 30-yard line. Immediately, Roy was hit, but he did not go down, but he spun around and he began to run. And he was running and boy, he was just picking them up and putting them down, thinking this is a lot easier than what I thought it was going to be. But much to the team's surprise, Roy was running in the wrong direction. It was kind of odd to see as Roy began to run towards the wrong end zone, It was kind of odd to see his own players trying to tackle him. (laughs) 
and, and yet the opposition running the interference for him. <laughs> Roy's teammate and also quarterback, Benny Lom, L-O-M, chased Roy down, screaming at him for him to stop. But I guess Roy was caught up in the moment and he didn't stop. So finally, Benny Long tackled Roy at the one-yard line. This is a true story now. I'm not making this up. (laughs) Sounds almost too uh, outrageous to believe. Well, as you can imagine, as Roy came off the field, finally realizing what he had done, Realizing that he had just run 69 yards the wrong direction. He was distraught, embarrassed, ashamed. When they went into the halftime, Roy was so distraught that he he said, I'm not even going to go back out on the field. I'm going to stay inside here and, and not even go back. But legend tells us that Roy's coach came up to him, put his arm around Roy and said, Hey, Roy, that, that could happen to any of us. And we, we want you to go back out and we need you. And So with encouragement from his teammates and his coach, Roy went back out and he played an outstanding second half including blocking a punt from Georgia Tech. Unfortunately, the California Berkeley Bears lost the game. You see, when they recovered the fumble at the one-yard line, actually Roy took it down there for them. So Georgia Tech, uh, I mean, uh, uh, California Berkeley had the ball on the one yard line and they decided to punt instead of try to run a play because they were so close to their own end zone and when they tried to punt the ball away the punt was blocked and Georgia Tech got a safety two points they ended up losing the game Georgia Tech won the 1929 Rose Bowl 8-7 to Now, oftentimes in life, we think we're doing very well. Roy was running down the field and he thought, man, I'm doing good. I'm just, I'm doing well. I'm, I'm making my way down here. He thought he was going so well, but he had lost sight of the right goal. And sometimes in life we we think we're doing so well, but we have lost sight of the goal and it seems as though Satan himself is running interference for us as he's leading us in the wrong direction. So this morning, uh, perhaps you are going towards the wrong goal or, or maybe you're just sitting on the sidelines, not in the game at all. So today my job is to tackle you. I want to tackle you this morning to put you on the right track. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 13. 
that all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray now you will take charge of this service. We studied in Christian Growth Group about your omnipresence. So, Lord, we know that you are here, but, Lord, we ask that you make your presence known and felt. And, Lord, I pray that you might guard the words that proceed from my mouth, that I will say nothing more or less than what you want. And, Lord, that you'll take and bless, use your word to accomplish your will here this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to look down in verse 16 at the phrase, and you probably have seen it before. Guys, we seem like we got a little ringing up here. We just need to turn this one off. Or you guys hear that ring, or is that just my ears ringing? <laughs> but uh, redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. Now, in the Scriptures, there are two words for time. One word is the word chronos. And the word chronos typically means a sequential period of time, a passing of time. We use the word chronos. As a matter of fact, some people call their watch a chronometer, which measures time. That's not the word that's used here in Ephesians. The word used here for redeeming the time is the word keros, spelled K-A-I-R-O-S. That's a uh, transliteration of the word. And the word keros means a season of time. Or more explicitly, it really means an opportunity. Now, if you turn over to Galatians, and, and you, you don't have to turn there, I'm going to read the verse for you. But in Galatians chapter 6, this verse says this, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all men. Now, the word that is translated opportunity there in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, is the exact same word translated time here in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, verse 16. So the word really means opportunity. In other words, Paul could say it this way, the days are evil, verse 16, but redeem the opportunity. Redeem the opportunity. I have four things I'd like to share with you this morning about opportunity that we see from this passage of Scripture. The first one is that time is a 
provided opportunity. Time is a provided opportunity. Let's go back to verse number 14. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep. Unfortunately, there are many in our culture today who are asleep. Not asleep physically, but asleep almost as if they are oblivious to what is going on around them. So time is a provided opportunity. Two of God's greatest gifts to us are, and you know, I guarantee you could get the first one, if I had to name two of God's greatest gifts, and He gives us many gifts, so I don't want to limit the list to two, but if I were going to give you two of God's greatest gifts to us, number one is Jesus, right? (laughs) The greatest gift is Jesus. But you know what? The second, perhaps, or one of at least, maybe not the second in your mind, but one of the greatest gifts that God gives to us is Time. He gives us Jesus, and He gives us time. You see, God is the creator and the possessor of time. We must see every day as a gift from God. Think of it this way. In order for you and me, to cease living, God would not have to take our life. He simply needs to stop giving it. Do you understand? Time is a gift. It is a gift of God. In Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 3, it says, Though the Lord's mercy, through the Lord's mercy, we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are renewed every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And what that verse seems to say is that every morning, God grants you another day. He gives you more Time. Every day is a gift of God. Uh, we sing the song and quote the verse, Today is the day that the Lord has made. Right? We will then what? Rejoice and be glad in it. Every day is a gift of God. Time is something God gave you today. He is the possessor and the creator of it. You and I are stewards of the time God has given us. One day, I will answer to God for this day and every other day that God has given us. Everybody has the same amount of time. A day consists of 24 hours, 1,440 minutes, 86,400 seconds. People sometimes use the phrase, boy, I I wish I just had more time. We all have the same amount of time. The difference is how we choose to use it. 
There's a little poem that goes something like this. I have only just a minute, only 60 seconds in it. Didn't seek it, didn't choose it. Forced upon me, I can't refuse it. It's up to me how I use it. I must suffer if I lose it. Give account if I abuse it. Just a tiny little minute, but eternity is in it. Time is a provided opportunity. The second thing I'd like to say is that time is a present opportunity. Look at verse 15. He says, See then that you walk, that's what we do today, circumspectly, upright, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Time is a present opportunity. You know, there are two days that can steal the joy and the productivity from today. Two days that can steal your joy of today, can steal the productivity from today, and they are yesterday and tomorrow. Many live in yesterday. The Apostle Paul, in another place, he's writing here in Ephesians, but in Philippians, he said, Brethren, I don't consider myself to have apprehended. I don't count myself. But this one thing I do, he says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Many live in yesterday. They are wallowing in the sorrows and the defeats and the failures of yesterday. They can't live today because of the guilt or the pain or the memories of yesterday. Paul said, hey, this one thing I do, I forget that which is past and I reach forth to those things which are ahead. I know that's very small print up there, but four things Paul had to forget. If you can read that, you got very good eyes. If you can read it, I can hardly read it, and I know what it says. <laughs> Number one, Paul had to forget his guilt. That's what that says out there to the side. Paul had to forget his guilt. Think about it. He was one of the ones responsible for the stoning of Stephen. And not only Stephen, but he was responsible for the persecution of many other Christians. And yet Paul had to forget that and move on. And he said, I forget those things which are past. Paul also had to forget his past glory. He, he was perhaps the greatest Christian who ever lived. Of course, apart from Jesus, and there's no comparison to him, but... But other than Christ Himself, perhaps the greatest Christian who ever lived, responsible for writing nearly half of the New Testament. And yet Paul did not set on his laurels. Paul did not boast in glory. Paul said that. I don't boast. He preached Jesus and Him crucified. Paul had to forget his past guilt. Paul had to forget his past glory. Paul had to forget his past grief. Listen, Paul suffered many hardships. He was beaten. 
He was shipwrecked. He was run out of town. He was stoned. Many things happened to Paul. But he had to forget that. He forgot his past grief. And then he had to forget his past grudges. Many people live in yesterday holding on to some grudge that happened 20 years ago. Something that somebody said that caused them pain or upset them and they're holding on to that still today. They can't live for today because they're still holding on to yesterday. Paul forgot those grudges. There were many people who done him wrong. Many people who he had disagreements with. Maybe even some by his own choosing. Remember, he had a problem with John Mark. But he had to forget that. And they later worked it out and they became co-laborers in the ministry together. Paul had to forget his past guilt, his past glory, his past grief, his past grudges. Many people live in yesterday. Unfortunately, many people live in tomorrow. Always waiting for something that's going to happen. Looking forward to something this is going to happen. They never really enjoy today because they're always looking forward to something that's going to happen. I can remember as a small boy, it been a while ago now, but boy, I couldn't wait until I was 16. I wanted to get those driver's license and it seemed like those years drugged by. I mean, I couldn't wait and just like, oh man, I finally get to be 15 and I can take the driver's tests and the driver's education programs and do the, the training in the car and then finally get my learner's permit at 15 and a half. A little different back in my days. But but I can remember getting in that car and then finally I went and got to my driver's license and, and, and boy, that was just, I was looking forward to that. And then once I got my driver's license, then I began to think, oh wow, I'm going to be a senior one of these days, hopefully, and I'm going to graduate. And boy, I kept looking forward to the day I was going to graduate. And then I graduated high school and started into college and then I began to look forward to the graduation, really look forward to the graduation of college. I'm tired. I'm tired of studying. By the way, I've said this before. Is uh, On the night before I was about to graduate, they had a baccalaureate service in the evening. We'd graduate the next day. And so uh, I was thinking about that and, and I made a, a deal with the Lord. Probably not a deal that you really should make, but I have to confess I made this deal with the Lord. I said, Lord, I know you can come back at any time, but would you wait until after tomorrow? I want to get this degree. <laughs> I want this diploma. I've worked too hard for this diploma. How about waiting one more day? <laughs> I don't really think that's a great deal, but uh, I made it at that time. So I was looking forward to it. Unfortunately, sometimes we spend all of our lives looking forward to what is going to happen that we failed to... Live for today. Jesus said in Matthew 6.34, He says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, you know, that phrase, I have to admit, that phrase, sufficient for the day is its own trouble, really puzzled me of somewhat. I'm not sure I understand it even now. But to the best of my understanding, here's what I think it means. God has ordered some trouble for you today. That may not 
sound quite right, but let me say that again. God has ordered some trouble for you today. You see, we need difficulties. We are blessed with difficulties. God gives us enough difficulties to cause us to come to Him. The worst thing that could ever happen to us would be to never have any difficulties. We would then never know our need of the Lord. But that verse says, sufficient for today. What is sufficient? I think it means grace. You see, God has ordered some trouble for you today. But He has also given you sufficient grace to meet the difficulties of today. You see, what happens when we worry? When we worry, we reach into tomorrow and bring tomorrow's difficulties into today. But God did not give us enough grace for tomorrow's difficulties today. Sufficient for the day. If I could illustrate it like this. Let's suppose that on this side of the stage that I have a, a, a pile of rocks or bricks, stones. And they represent today's troubles, difficulties that God has ordered for me today. On this side of the stage represents tomorrow's troubles and difficulties. And so there are some stones and rocks piled here as well. So what happens is, if I live in today, God has ordered me some difficulties for today, but He has also given me enough grace to handle the problems of today. The problem is, if I go over here to tomorrow and I begin to worry, I pick up some of these troubles and I bring them back to today, and now I've got more trouble than I have grace. The Bible says sufficient for the day. Each day is its own trouble. That's what happens when we worry. Are you a worrier? Are you one who can't live today worried about tomorrow? Time is a present opportunity. Many live in yesterday, some live in tomorrow. But listen, my friends, yesterday is but a canceled check. Tomorrow is but a promissory note. Today is all the cash you have. Time is a present opportunity. Number three, time is a precious opportunity. Look in verse 16. He says, redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Now, 
The word redeem there is a word that we use in many other areas of the Christian life. We sing the song redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Uh, the word redeem means to purchase something. Jesus is our redeemer. So, guess what? When you redeem something, you pay for it. That's what it means to redeem. So he says here that we should redeem the time. 